Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. Okay, well, last week we started a series called Reaching the One. And if you know, if you're new to our church, or maybe you haven't been here in a while, uh, the name of our church is called City Reach. So the word reach is obviously in our name. And we want to impact our city for Jesus. That's really what we do. And, and that doesn't happen here. Here is where we come together. Here is where we learn. Here is where we grow. Here's where we mature in the Lord. But it happens out there. And you're not going to reach the city or the state or the nation of the world here. And, and if you look at our mission, our mission is to reach the one that's far from God and help them become a passionate follower of Jesus. So we're... We're looking at the next few weeks of some, some instances in the book of John where Jesus reaches the one. And last week we looked at the, the story of Nicodemus. And so Nicodemus was a guy that was a Pharisee. He was very well, uh, well-read, well-educated. He, uh, he was the teacher of Israel. So he was a well-respected guy. He, he went to church. He prayed a lot. He fasted a lot. He did everything by the book. And when he comes to Jesus, Jesus tells him, hey, none of that matters if you're not born again. That if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, it's a spiritual kingdom, and you can't get into a spiritual kingdom with a natural birth. You've got to be born from above, born of the Spirit. And so we started our series with Nicodemus last week, and today we're going to look at John chapter 4, the next chapter in the book of John, and we're going to look at uh, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles, uh, we'll be in John chapter 4 today, and we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 26. And obviously I won't have time to cover all of that, but I do want to read. Now the whole story really goes almost to the end of the chapter, so I'd encourage you to go back and and read it later today, uh, or even this week, and meditate on some things. So there's a lot of things that can be pulled out from this story. We really want to focus on how did Jesus reach the Samaritan woman? What are some things that he did that we can practically do to to reach the one? Because at the end of the day, I think you'll see in this story is the way you reach a city is to reach the one. And you'll never reach the city before you reach the individual. And you'll see exactly what Jesus did in this situation. So this lady is very different from from the Pharisee. So... Uh, if you've, how many have read the story, The Samaritan Woman at the Well in John 5? Anybody familiar with it? Okay, a few people. So there's a lady in this story, very different from, from uh, Nicodemus the, the Pharisee. Uh, she is a woman that had been married five times and divorced five times. She's now living with a guy that's not her husband. And she is coming to draw water at a well in the middle of the day. And so... Typically at that time, people, not people, women, women would go to draw water. Men worked in the fields. Women would take care of the home. And and women would go draw water in the evenings. And it was really, the the well was really a place of community, a place where they would get and hang out and tell stories and and talk about life and talk about their kids. Where's Phil at? Phil. Oh, Phil Kiefer back there. So Phil went on vacation with his kids this week, and he came and said, I never realized how hard that is. I need a vacation for my kids. And I was like, I get that. I do. And I, I love that I'm, a, I'm an empty nester now. 
Oh, if you guys are wondering where my wife was, we didn't split up, by the way, so we are, uh, we are still together. Um, she is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She's visiting her parents. Matter of fact, I want to say hello. It's my father-in-law's 75th birthday tomorrow, so everybody just give him a hand, 75 years. So a lot of times when we, we if, if I want you to really think about this, because a lot of times when we read this story, we have a predisposition toward this woman. She was an adulterer. She's living with a guy. And we start to think about how this sinful woman, and Jesus reaches the sinful woman, but is it possible, if you think at that time, that, that only men could divorce a woman, a woman? The man was the one that had to divorce the wife. So this is a woman that's been five times rejected by men. Now, granted, five men probably weren't wrong about her, right? She probably was doing something that, that brought it about. But, but regardless of that, this is a woman that had been rejected and abandoned by men five times. The guy that she's currently with won't marry her for some reason. And so she probably has some serious hurt. You know, I think a lot of times we think of the story. It was even funny. I came in this morning. I'm talking to Jeremy and Tanya. And I said, hey, I saw the video online of your, your uh, deer in your backyard. And uh, Jeremy goes, yeah, it's, it's one mom with, uh, with eight kids. He goes, I said, how many dads? He goes, oh, but like the woman at the well, probably had a whole bunch. <laughs> I said, I say what I'm speaking about today. So a lot of times we have these pre, you know, preconceived notions. So I want you to think that this is a woman that's, that's broken. This is a woman that's hurt. This is a woman that's been rejected. This is a woman that probably has somebody praying for her. God, bring somebody along to talk to my ex-wife, my friend's wife, my friend, my mom, whatever. Could be a woman that's praying for herself. God, send somebody. We don't know. So let's go ahead and we're going to pick up in this story. In John chapter 4, now, Jesus is leaving Jerusalem. When we, when we saw last week, he's in Jerusalem. He's leaving Jerusalem, and he's heading to Galilee. Now, if you know anything about the topography or geography of, of uh, Israel, uh, it was divided basically into, into three main territories. So you have Jerusalem in the bottom, and you have, so you have Judah, and then you have Samaria in the middle, and then you have Galilee on the top. So you have Judah, Samaria, and Galilee. And it said that Jesus is leaving Judah, and he, or, I'm sorry, Judea, I thought that didn't sound right, Judea, and he's going to Galilee. So he's going from the south to the north. Now what's between here and here, right in the middle? Samaria. Samaria's in the middle. And there was a road that went from Jerusalem all the way to the north, and it was the shortest, most direct route. But no Hardly any Jews ever took that route. They would either go to the west and go around it. Now in Samaria, the, the, the province of Samaria, there was also a town of Samaria. And that's the location of where the story takes place, outside of the town of Samaria. And, and they would either kind of go to the west by the, by the sea, or they'd go to the east, inland, and around it. They would never go through it because they hated, they hated the Samaritans. They just they couldn't stand them. So the Jews despised Samaritans. Samaritans despised the Jews. So why? So just give you a little bit of history and context. In about 722 B.C., the Assyrians, and you can read this story. We're not going to read it. I think it's in maybe 2 Kings chapter 17. 
But the Assyrians, they invaded and they, they took, uh, they, they won the victory over this area. And they took people and they deported them back to uh, Syria, into their kingdom, back into Babylon. And they imported people from other nationalities that they had captured. So what they did, they left the worst of the worst in Samaria. They took the best of the best and took them out. They leave the, the, the worst of the worst, and then they bring other people in from non-Jewish nations to live in that area. And the people that were Jews started to intermix with these, these other uh, nationalities. And so they kind of observed a little bit of Judaism. They believed in the first five books of Moses, but they had their own form of worship. They had their own, their own temple. And really, the, the ones that were 100% Jewish and strict Jewish considered them like, like a religious half-breed. Like you're a mixed, you're a mixed uh, ethnicity, you're a mixed religion, you're just a religious half-breed. And they just despised them. There was this hatred that had gone on for, for some like 700 years. And so this wasn't a new thing. And it says that Jesus, in verse 3, left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through where? Needed to go through Samaria. Now, Jesus didn't really need to go through Samaria because there was other ways to get there. And most people would take that other route. But why did he need to go through Samaria? Because there was a woman there that needed to know Jesus. See, I don't think it's any coincidence that if you back up and you look in John chapter 3, verse 34, it says that God, it says, whoever God sends speaks the words of God, and God does not give the Spirit by measure. So that Jesus, in everything he did, he's operating out of complete intimacy and communication with the Father through the Holy Spirit. And so I don't think it's any coincidence that as Jesus starts on his, his trip to go from point A to point B, maybe we need to get that nailed down, that, um, that the Holy Spirit directs him and says, hey, you need to go here. You need to make a side trip. You need to take a different route. See, anybody ever use the app Waze? Who's used Waze? I love Waze, right? I used Waze last week. I'm, I'm about 200 and some miles away. I was working last week in Hazleton, Pennsylvania, and I put my Waze on. Now, what's great about Waze? Nobody, forget the directions. It tells you where the cops are, right? So I'm going back. I'm, okay, I'm going back a few years. When I was a kid, my dad had a fuzz buster. <laughs> Anybody know what a fuzz buster is? Okay, I can get an amen on that. Some people remember the fuzz buster. Well, it was a, basically a radar detector that would tell you where the police were, and it would, it would go off. And I guess they eventually became illegal. But so Waze, when you're going on Waze, you're putting in where you are, and you're putting in a destination, right? And, and as you're going down the road, so I'm coming down the road, and on Waze it shows, it shows Interstate 81 South that I'm on, and it's all red. And it says, take exit 42. I'm like, this thing doesn't know what it's talking about. I know where I'm going. I know how long it takes to get there. And I just blew on. I said, no thanks. Beep. You know, you kind of override it and you keep on going. As soon as I did, it recalculated me an extra 30 minutes. Well, now I'm mad, you know. And, and you know, so then what happened again, it came up the next exit, and I finally was able to get off the next exit, and it reroutes you around, around things. But I think the same thing happens in the spiritual realm is that 
we are so focused on where we're going. We're so focused on our destination. We're so focused on our ministry. We're so focused on our schedule for the day that when God drops in an alternate route, we override it. See, we don't have the perspective that He has. The Holy Spirit is the denominator in all of us. And I don't know that somebody's praying over here or praying over there or has a need here or has a need there. All I'm focused on is I got to get to Cumberland. I got to get to my next appointment. And so the first thing I've got to do in my day is I say, you know, I, I, I'm, my wife could ask you about, you ask my wife about my schedule sometimes. She's like, you're so scheduled, you're to the point of being rude. Oh, nope, time to go, I'm out of here. No, and on to the next. And for me, I've got to submit my schedule to the Lord in the morning. I'm like, Father, I submit my day to you. I give you permission to reroute my coordinates. I give you permission to, to take me on a different route because somebody might need you. It's not easy to do. It's easier to say than, than, than to do, for sure. But Jesus needed to go through Samaria. So let's just pick up there. I want to read. So what I want to look at today, I want to look at three things. I'm going to read the story. I want to go back. It's really neat. I want you to hear it in its entirety. Three things about reaching the one. One, strike up a conversation. You write these down. Strike up a conversation. Two, stay the course. Three, share about Christ. Strike up a conversation. We're going to talk about what that looks like. Stay the course. Share about Christ. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. Now, interestingly enough, anybody know what Sychar means? It means drunken. Imagine being the, the, the head of the Chamber of Commerce or Tourism for Sychar. Hey, come start a business in Drunken. You know, it's almost like coming to Cumberland. No, no, no. People, you know, people used to ask me, they'd come in town, it's like, so, so what, what drives the economy here? I'm like, I don't know. Just go down 68, you see churches and bars. I think one offsets the other. I don't know. You know, I'm not really sure what, what drives here. He says, so he came to a city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Joseph, Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Then a, the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask from me, a Samaritan woman, a drink, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. When do you, where do you where then do you get that living where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and who drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Then Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. 
But the water that I shall give him will become unto him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, Sir, you have well said, For you have five husbands, and the one you're now with is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Imagine that. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. We'll stop there. All right, so three things. We'll go to the next slide. Strike up a conversation, stay on course, and share about Christ. So, if we're going to talk to somebody about Jesus, what's the first thing we got to do? You got to, you got to say something, right? You got to say something. We strike up a conversation. We're going to talk about how Jesus did that. You got to stay on course because what we're going to see is that the enemy tries to get you off course. See, if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, he's directing you here, guess what? You're going to have a little defense. Somebody's going to be trying to resist that conversation. There's something at work that does not want that person to hear about Jesus. And you're going to see how the enemy will try to create arguments and debates and differences to try to get you off track. You want to stay on course. And finally, you've got to tell them about Christ because if you don't introduce them to Jesus... He's the only one that can make a difference in their life. Apart from him, we have nothing. So he has to come into the conversation at some point. What you'll notice is Jesus doesn't come out and say, I'm the Christ. He leads up to it. He eventually says, yeah, I am he. That's where he ends. But he doesn't start with that. That's not his, his, that's not his, his opening play, so to speak. And it's probably, if you read the Gospels, it's definitely the first time, maybe the only time that he ever actually verbalizes, I am the Christ. Uh, other people said it. Other people figured it out or revealed it. But, but he actually verbalizes it himself here. All right. So strike up a conversation. How do we do that? How do you strike up a conversation with somebody? <laughs> yeah, talk. <laughs> How do you do that? What, what do most people say? Oh, I'm scared. I don't know what to say. I, I don't know where to start. Right? Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? That's a good one. Hey, how you doing? You know, here's, here's what I can tell you. If you don't know what to talk about, I can tell you one thing that everybody likes to talk about. Themselves. <laughs> right? <laughs> if you ever want to start a conversation, you could say, hey, tell me about your kids. Tell me about your job. Tell me about where you're from. And then about five minutes later, you're going to think, why did I do that? Did you ever ask somebody that? And then 30 minutes later, you're like, oh my gosh, what did I just get into here? 
Everybody wants to talk about themselves. They're gonna, well, they're not gonna pull their, their wallet out anymore, but they're gonna get their phone. They're gonna say, here's my kids. If you're my wife, she's gonna say, here's my dog. I don't have a husband, but I got two dogs. You know, she's in love with those dogs. Whatever it is, people wanna talk about themselves. Sometimes people say, well, I would say something if I had an opening. You ever hear that? There's always an opening. Do you believe that? Do this. <laughs> Everybody do this. I want to see every mouth open. Now I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I see an opening right below your nose. My dad used to tell me that when I was a kid. My dad was a great witnesser. He really did a great job. He said, everybody's waiting for an opening. God gave you one right here. It's called your mouth. You've got to open it. But seriously, I want you to notice this. Did, did you notice when we read here it says that there was a well there? And it just didn't say a well. What well was it? It was Jacob's well. And, it was, and he goes in detail and said it was on the plot of ground that Jacob gave to Joseph. It was Jacob's well. Why would it be important that Jesus stopped at not just any well, but Jacob's well? Central location? Think about this. Jews and Samaritans hated each other, right? Didn't like each other. but they both believed in the first five books of the Bible. They both believed in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, they might have hated each other, but they loved some Jacob. They all loved Jacob. And so what Jesus does, he starts at a point of common ground. And see, a lot of times we want to, we want to witness to people, but we want to start from a point of contention. What if Jesus, anybody ever read the Scarlet Letter? Or, or I haven't read it, so I shouldn't say it. But you know, what? what's the Scarlet Letter? What's the letter? A. What's it stand for? Adulteress. What if Jesus was standing there with a big A, passing out A's? Here you go. Here's your A. Put it on. <laughs> what if he was walking around the well saying, Thou shalt not commit what? Adultery, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Was she an adulterer? Would he have had a chance to witness to her? Probably not. Now, he was God. He could do anything, but I'd have blown it right there. See, Jesus starts from a point of, of common ground, a point of, of agreement where something that they could agree on. They had a lot of differences. But he starts from a place of common ground, Jacob, and Jacob's well, and it was both their fathers. See, don't, don't go out and try to start from something that you disagree on. We all disagree on a lot, but start from something you can, can agree on. You're going to have greater opportunity to go to the next step. All right, next one. Stay the course. So what I want to show you here, Jesus is being led by the Holy Spirit to this woman. 
And now the enemy is trying to bring up things to create debate and argument. And what happens a lot of times, we can get drug into the debate and get off track from why we're actually there to start with. And we can get, like, I love to argue. Just ask my wife. Now, I've learned, I've learned, I just cut to the chase and say, yes, dear, you're right, I'm done. Like, but in the old days, man, I would argue everything. I loved it. I, I didn't care if I even believed what I was arguing. I would argue it just to win. Like, I don't care what side I'm arguing. I just want to win the argument. Don't get drug into that. Because what happens? You can win the, win the battle and lose the war. See, the same, thing, same thing's true in reaching the one. You can, you can prove a particular point, argue a point, debate a point, win it, and just push them away. So what's she bring up? Here's the first thing. Difference in race, difference in ethnicity, difference in culture. She says, how can you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? Race and gender. See, the enemy tries to... And you know what? Jesus doesn't even address it. Even when, when, when Jesus was being tempted in Luke chapter 4, it, Satan says, If thou be the Son of God. What did he say? As it is written. He could have said, Well, I am. And Satan could have said, No, you're not. And he could have said, Yes, I am. And he said, No, you're not. Well, yes, I am. Don't you know who I am? He didn't. He just said, as it is written, and man shall live by bread alone, but by every word proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he moved on. See, the enemy wants to drag you in this debate. Race, ethnicity are man-made barriers. See, a lot of times we think, well, I have to be like that person to witness to that person. Here's the thing. You don't ever have to lose your identity or who you are to witness and talk to somebody that's not like you. Jesus never quit being a Jew. How did she know he was a Jew? Probably by his dialect, probably by his skin tone, probably by the clothes he was wearing. She could identify him as a Jewish man. But it didn't mean that he had to quit being who he was to reach somebody that wasn't like him. See, we put up all these barriers. People say, well, I can't, I, I can't witness to them. They're a Republican. I can't witness to them. They voted for Obama. They wear masks. I hate masks. He's white. No, duh. I looked in the mirror this morning. See, Paul says this. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, the love of Christ compels me. Like in verse 14. Verse 15 says that Christ died for all. And he says, therefore, from now on, I will regard no man or acknowledge no man after the flesh. He says, I don't see you after the flesh anymore. I see you as a soul that Jesus died for. 
But the enemy is going to want to bring up our differences. I'm going to start from a point of agreement and look at you as you're somebody that Jesus paid dearly for. And you need Jesus. And I'm not going to let a man-made barrier of what side of the tracks you live on and what town you grew up in and what the color of your skin is or what your political party is or any of it stand between me introducing you to my Savior. But the enemy will try to weave that in. Second. Next slide. He says, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? That's a logical question, right? So this well's probably 100 feet deep. It's like, okay, you got some living water. How are you going to get it? You got no bucket. Is that a reasonable question? See, it's reasonable, but she's thinking on a physical plane. Jesus is talking on a spiritual plane. She doesn't quite connect the dots. So what the enemy will do is start to throw out logical questions, logical things. Well, what about the cavemen? Well, what, what, about the, what do you think about the flood? I mean, how did Noah scoop all that poop and get rid of it? What, what about the dinosaurs? What about what? I heard somebody say something. So people will bring up the logical questions. And, and you know what? You can spend a lot of time trying to prove Noah's Ark or the Ice Age or creation and all that. And next thing you know, you, you get them to believe that and you've kind of all completely lost the direction of the conversation. See, all you have to say is, you know what? I don't know about the cavemen. But what I know is I was blind and now I see. I don't know how Noah took care of all those animals. God knows. I don't know. But what I know is I was addicted and now I'm not. See, people don't need to know that you have a PhD in theology. What they need to know is that Jesus set you free, and if you've had an encounter with Jesus, it qualifies you to introduce them to having an encounter with Jesus. Don't get stuck on all the what-ifs, because they'll try to bring a lot of questions up. And they're okay, and there's going to be a time and place for that. But the objective is to introduce them to the one that changed your life. Next, this is the last one. The woman said to him, Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. You Jews say that uh, in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. I kind of like it. I think it's, I want to say it's the New English translation. It says, You people. I kind of like that. It's like really, really kind of racist. Like, You people say. But I didn't put that one up there. Kind of funny. Check it out. At least I thought it was funny. My sense of humor is a little warped, though, I know. But, so what's she doing? She's saying that, hey, well, all of a sudden we have questions about, well, my pastor said, well, well my, in my church, the church I grew up in says this, what's your church do? Well, well, well my mom taught me, my dad said this, my grandmama used to do this, my nomination, you know, again, you're not trying to convince them to join a denomination. 
You're introducing them to Jesus. See, Jesus eventually says, look, it's not about a place anyway. It's not about that this temple that you have on Mount Gerizim. It's not about even the temple in Jerusalem. Well, right now, the temple in Jerusalem is the one. But the time is coming, and the hour, out, the hour now is, when, when true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. So it's not about a place. It's going to be about him having a place in your heart. That the real temple is right here. And so don't get sidetracked. Well, do you have to go to church? Do you have to go to, to three times a week? Do, do you have to go Sunday morning and Sunday night? You know, people are going to throw all those questions up. Just introduce them to Jesus. All right. Start up a conversation. Stay the course because the enemy will try to get you off. Remember, there's a spiritual battle going on. The enemy will try to draw you into arguments, debates. Avoid them. Avoid them. They might sound a little religious. Stay on task. Finally, share about Christ. You know, this is the last verse in this. And she says... She says that, I know the Messiah is coming who's called the Christ. Jesus says, I'm, I'm, that's me. And that's where he ended. He ended with Christ, but he didn't start there. See, apart from Christ, none of this matters. None of this works apart from him. So what did he say? Look at a couple things he said. Next slide. It said, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God. Who's the gift of God? Notice, look how he's weaving this in here. If you knew the gift of God, who's the gift of God? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus is the gift of God. And it's a gift. He is a gift. And a gift is something that you can't earn. It's something you can't deserve. You can't work for. You just ask and receive. He said, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked, and he would have what? Given you living water. Living water, this word living comes from the word zoe, which means life. It's the life of God. It's a life that Jesus said in John 10, 10, he says, I have come that they might have zoe, that they might have life and have it more abundantly. This is the life of God. Jesus is coming to say, hey, I'm giving you my life. My life that doesn't have any cracks, any holes, any deficiencies. Any, I, my life doesn't even have a bad day. It's perfect. It's eternal. But I, if you notice in here, if you look, it says, if you would have known, you would have what? If you would have known, you would have asked. So in order to ask, you've got to know. So I, let me just say this, and I know I'm probably going to offend somebody here, but it won't be the first time, right? You guys love me? You love me. Okay. Let's start, let's start at a point of agreement. You love me, right? <laughs> I love you. Posted this before, and you may have said this before, and I get it. I probably said it myself, but it's not from the Bible. This quote is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Anybody ever heard of him? I didn't say he was a sissy. 
St. Francis from Assisi. He was an Italian friar in the 13th, 13th century. But he's, he's credited with saying this, and a lot of times we, we hear things and we repeat them and say them. It says, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use... Oh, who's heard it? Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use... Words. I don't think that's in the Bible. I understand that your life can be the most powerful sermon a person might ever see. But faith doesn't come by seeing. Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. See, is your lifestyle important? Yes, because your life needs to match your words. 100%. You could live a perfect life and be a perfect example and that person could go to hell. Because faith doesn't come by watching you live your life. I, I don't think anybody ever said, I put my faith in the life of Fred because he lived such a good life. And I, I don't really live a good life. I'm just, I mess up all the time. See, you've got to say something. See, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by words. Now, your life, your life and your words need to... Be equal, right? Because what happens if I say one thing and act a different way? I blend my shot. And so I, I don't... They both need to be there. But don't get comfortable thinking, well, I'm just living a good life. I'm being a good testimony. And never open your mouth. Because you all have a opening. Still love me? Okay. Next slide. Look what it says in Romans. This is from the New Living Translation. I think I said this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how will they call unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him having never, what? Heard of him. And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the good news of Christ or hearing by the word of God, whatever translation you want to use. See, at some point in time in this conversation, there's got to be a discussion about Jesus. See, maybe, maybe you're going down the, you're like, well, I don't know what, you know, how do I do that? Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus is at the well, so he spoke about what? Living, hmm, hmm. He's at the well, he spoke about water. Okay, if I'm at a sporting event, might talk about having a game plan for your life. If I'm on a road trip with somebody, might talk about, hey, what, what's your path look like? If I'm on a hike, might talk about, man, isn't it great that everything in nature has a purpose and a and 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 a fit. There's ways to get there, and you can take the environment you're in and start a conversation that eventually ends with Jesus. I was a few years ago. I was I was driving to Atlantic City to a meeting, and I had one of my uh, managers with me. He's in the in the right side. I'm, I'm driving. We're going down. I don't know what interstate it was, but it was on the way to Atlantic City. And I start having a conversation with him just about that. We're going down the road, 
path of life, direction you're heading. And, uh, and as we got closer to asking a question, I kept speeding up. You know, and I kept going 75, 80. Now, and then actually uh, I said, you know, all of us, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Everybody's got to make a decision. And I, I, I would move the car a little closer to the 18-wheeler to his right. And he, he was sitting there like this. And then I would like speed up and, and I'd get a little closer. I was like, did you want to accept Jesus? He goes, yeah, but don't make me close my eyes. I don't want to close my eyes. Like, well, you don't have to close your eyes. You just got to accept them. Closing your eyes wasn't in there. But you can take, and he accepted Jesus. He is super plugged into a church. Praise God. He, he's, he's got a great life. And I could have just said, well, it's just a business trip. Called his girlfriend. She's, she's like, we've been praying for somebody to talk to him for a long time. You know, now he's got a great wife, great Christian family, kids, serving the Lord. Actually, one of my partners. Let's go one more slide, I think. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. Did Jesus know when he was sitting that well he was going to talk to a woman that had been divorced five times, living with a man? I think he did. I think he was so in tune with the Father. He knew that. He knew that she had tried everything in her life to fill a void that could never be filled. She had a, she had a void that she thought, in this case, men could fill. Husbands could fill. Illicit fares could fill. And every one of us have a void that can only be filled with God. You might try different things to get there. It might be sex. It might be your pursuit of your career. It could be drugs, whatever it is. But every one of those things will cause you to be thirsty again. It will satisfy for a short period of time, but then the thirst comes back and comes back and comes back and comes back and comes back. But Jesus says, the water that I give you, you will never, ever thirst again. See, his water is a one-time water. His water is one that when you take a drink, that it satisfies that thirst, that longing that you have forever. And he says it's a well inside of you springing up to what kind of life? Eternal, everlasting life. And that's what God brings to you. That's what Jesus offers you. And if you're here and you know Jesus, you know that he's done that for you. And you should want to tell somebody else. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and you might say, you know what? I've tried a lot of things. I've gone, I've done this or I've done that. Here's what I know. Jesus already knows it. Jesus is already sitting at the well waiting for you. And Jesus has the water 
that will quench that thirst forever. And you'll never have to go back to that other well again. Close your eyes. We're going to pray. Worship team, you guys want to come up?